and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, I don't have a quippy joke to introduce him. I just want to say Happy New Year, buddy. It's Matt Morgan. Well, thank you, Joey. And actually, speaking of the new year, I heard that Santa didn't get any parking tickets this year. But it turns out his parking is always on the house. <laughs> oh no! I, you know, he that's... came down the chimney and and delivered presents. <laughs> that's that's the best way to start off the tone for for that's good vibes to begin the year with, Matt. Yeah, I, I mean, it's twenty twenty three, and and that means we're in our third year of terrible bad jokes. So there we here go. we are. <laughs> All right, and up next, I want to wish you happy New Year too. Hi, Dana Roach. I was going to make a joke about snow here, but after Matt's Santa joke, mine are all too flaky. I just can't. <laughs> yeah, see, well you, caught, you caught my drift. Ah. Oh. <laughs> clever, clever. I, I'm, I'm glad we're back. You guys are awesome. Anyway, <laughs> this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the Commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the EDH RecCast, what we'd like to do is give all of that data just a little more context. Dana, do you mind telling us what it is that we're discussing in this week's episode? We're talking about our goals and resolutions for 2023. Yeah. Uh, Dana, it's, Dana, it's actually rec solutions. Oh, we no. we I, did I, that last year, I thought. Yeah, ADH rec solutions. Oh, yeah. no. The, my, the joke. my first rec solution will be to remember that for next year. Okay. <laughs> you, you've got 364 days <laughs> right. to, to work on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk about some of our goals, things that we hope to manifest in the year that is to come. So it should be pretty uh, a nice way to start off the new year. But before we get into that topic, we've got a couple of fun shout outs we want to do. First, we'd like to thank Chase, also known as Manic Curves, for their work editing the show. You can find them on the Twitter words at Manic Curves. EDHREC is also streaming on Whatnot. You can follow our content manager, Jason Alt, as he does awesome stuff on those Whatnot streams, like giveaways and cool stuff like that. Follow EDHREC on social media to learn more. And if you want to sign up to be eligible for any of those awesome fun things, you can go to whatnot.com slash invite slash EDHREC. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking and subscribing this video on YouTube, subscribing on your local podcast app, or you can do so by going to patreon.com slash EDHRECcast. We have patron tiers of all sorts of levels where they want to join the Discord community. There's all of that and more over at patreon.com slash EDHRECcast. And we're going to start the new year off right. We're going to give a shout out to one of our patrons because that is one of the perks of patronage towards us. So this week, we're going to have a very special thank you to actually friend of the podcast, Jen, um, who you can find at Jen Filthy Casuals of the Filthy Casuals Magic Stream. So thank you, Jen and Donnie, I guess, too, because <laughs> you, you, you both work together, I guess. Um, so thank you all and thank you to all of our patrons. But this week, the shout out does go to Jen. So thank you. Make sure to check them out uh, at Filthy MTG Casual over on the Twitter birds. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so wonderful. It's I, I, We did not know that you were patrons until we were doing like a random se- selection to pick a patron to shout out. And we were like, wait, we know these folks. They're so much fun to play against. So, Jen, thank you ever so. Uh, Jen and Donnie are just dang good people. And it's the a, a really great uh, group of folks to play games with. So, ah, thank you so much. I think, ah, happy, happy shout outs. Again, we're starting off on a good tone. I'm feeling pretty good about this. But okay, we got some serious stuff that we got to get into. Matt, we are talking about some commander goals and resolutions for 2023 which is a very serious topic. We have to take this very seriously. Do you have any very serious goals for the upcoming year that you need to divulge with us? Uh, no. <laughs> no. 
I mean, I have some, some like casual and maybe some silly resolutions, but I don't know about serious because I, I, you know me, I, I, I don't take this all that seriously. So, uh, but I, I do have some, some kind of goals for myself, some things that I've set, set aside and, and not set aside, but set forward for myself. Um, and the big one was kind of inspired just any events and, and times that we've gone and played in public, I've gotten to play with other people's decks. And one thing I've noticed is like people just, when they build decks that are just cards they love, just piles of, these are cards that, like, like Joy, you, you have your Bob Lasaga deck. It's just cards mm-hmm. that make me feel feelings. Mm-hmm. And I just, decks like that. Um, like I mentioned a few po- episodes ago, I got to play Brian Kibler's Gearid deck and that he just literally said, um, so this is just a pile of cards that I like <laughs> and that's just what I'm going to do. And it was, it was powerful for sure. But playing with so many just different strangers and just the cards they love, I want to get back to that. Last year, I talked about how I wanted to broaden my horizons and play different strategies. And this year, I, I just want to get back to those like those those moments where I just giggle because of what I did was so ridiculous. That's what I want to get back to. Well, one thing nice about playing cards that like you find fun to versus what might be the quote-unquote correct choice as well, that's how you get a diversity of decks. I mean... Is every blue deck better with Rhystic Study and Mystic Remora? Yes, probably. Objectively, yes. But like that's that turns that, you know, already 97, 96 card deck, once you factor in Arcane Signet, Soaring, whatever, into a 95, 94 card deck, right? Like at some point when when you run those cards that are just objectively the correct choice, you have less and less room in those decks for things that are fun to do. And your, you know, your blue-black deck starts looking super similar to your, you know, black-red deck because there's so much overlap. Um, mm. it, it, it's a way to create a different experience as well once leading to those kind of things. And it makes one deck play different than another deck, which I think to, to segue into talking about one of my bullet points is that's one of the things I, I started focusing on this year and I want to continue to lean more into is diversity of play style among my decks. Mm. Um, I think for the first, you know, five, six years ish, I was playing commander. I was kind of fixated on, okay, I have a, Simic deck now when I have a green deck, but I don't have a Rakdos deck. So let me see if I can figure out something in Rakdos colors. Um, whereas I've kind of given up on that. If I, I'm much more focused nowadays on trying to find a deck that just plays different than the ones I currently have. And I, I definitely want to keep going into that direction, finding decks that just win in different ways and play in different ways than, than existing ones I have, even if that means I have, you know, four or five Demir decks or whatever. As long as they're playing differently from one another, that's, I think, what's 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 more important to me kind of moving forward. Well, and Dana, that's kind of one thing that I know I've done is I, I look at building a new deck and I see, well, I already have a Gruul deck. I already have a Selesnya deck. And so it discourages me from doing that and, and not being afraid to have more than one deck. And, and that's how you get to diversify. You're still playing things that you love to play but you're getting to diversify because you're doing the same maybe the same colors but you're doing it in a different strategy different way and that's one thing that i think a lot of players kind of experience is Mm -hmm. they're discouraged because they already have something that kind of overlaps a little bit so it pushes them in a different direction altogether that's such an interesting thing like finding the diversity of strategies sometimes i feel like that is an experience that really transcends the color boundaries like two of my decks that i feel have some of the most overlap are actually my Thalys reverent medium deck and my martin stromgold deck Thalys reverent medium is a black white tokens deck i'm making tons of one ones and then i'm playing cool pump stuff up to just you know send in all of these little one one tokens that are no longer one one tokens i play a all gold main or something like that and then suddenly they're huge and then my martin stromgold deck is also a deck that makes a bunch of one one tokens and martin stromgold 
God's ability will pump up all of those things for a big lethal swing. Those decks are in completely different colors, but the play patterns of them is actually like really, really similar. Whereas if I made another black-white deck or if I made another mono-red deck, I don't think that they would be very similar. I feel like Thalese and Martin have a lot more in common than Martin would have with another mono-red deck if I made one, or that Thalese would have if I made another black-white deck. Uh, that, that's just kind of an interesting thing to sometimes pay attention to. Sometimes it isn't just about the colors, but the play patterns themselves can be more like there's strategical overlap just because of deck does token things, even if it's in different colors. Yeah, that's a really difficult thing to to, to reconcile too. the fact that I, I talk about overlapping colors and overlapping cards. But yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a thing. Two decks with different colors can still play very, very similarly. And I guess maybe if you don't care about that, that's fine. But like it, it does kind of bother me. So I'm trying to avoid it. And um, I, I have in the past assumed if the decks didn't overlap in colors, they would play differently. And that's just not always the case. Yeah, and I think that's how you can get away with having multiple Demir decks, right? Because right, they yeah. actually, it, it, technically, when you look at them, they don't have as much in common because right. one of them's doing dragon stuff and another one's doing artifact stuff or, or things like that. Mm -hmm. And that's why, I mean, y'all know me, I have a bunch of Golgari decks and some of them are doing graveyard stuff and then some of them are cutting your life in half, which is different. And then other stuff is I'm going to sacrifice a bunch of, like, I, <laughs> there's a, a surprising diversity among those. So, like, those decks don't have as much in common with each other, but they might have a whole lot more in common with other decks, even if those other decks are in different colors. And I, I don't know, it's just an interesting thing to pay attention to when you're looking for diversity. Sometimes it isn't just about the colors. Yeah, and and it gets more and more difficult to have a, a diversity of decks and how they play the more decks you have too. And so, sometimes the solution to that is taking decks apart once in a while. And I, I think that's one of your resolutions, Joey. Oh, what a what a clever segue there, Dana. Uh, yeah. <laughs> looking into my notes, are you? Uh, yeah, this that is actually one of my goals here. I, the, have you all listened to uh, the Commander Sphere podcast at all? There was a fantastic episode that they had a little bit ago. I've about, never heard uh, of them. Never, never, ever heard of <laughs> That's them. That's not Dan true at all. Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know them. Who are they? Yeah, they've, they've got a couple of, I mean, they've got so many fantastic episodes, but one that they definitely did that I thought was really fantastic was this small uh, introspective study on like, when is it time to take a deck apart? And that's certainly been a topic that I think we've even covered like ages and ages ago, but I think that is one of my bigger resolutions uh, for 2023. I did a video recently ranking all of my decks by how often I played them. And it was so much fun to do, but I have six. 16 decks and going through all of those I did kind of realize you know what I don't play these decks all that often and it hasn't been enough for me to want to take apart any of those decks but like I, I don't know Matt when was the last time that I played my feather deck against you like I cannot remember reaching for that deck on on streams for for game nights you know like that's that's kind of what I'm what I'm trying to get to I'm like I don't have a reason to take this deck apart but I never play it against you do I well and, and that kind of leads into one of my resolutions goals is I need to actually have the courage, like the the stones and the the chutzpah, to take a deck apart to retire. Because I, I feel because I've tried my taste of Karlop deck. I've tried retiring that deck like three or four times. I would say, and I never like I never can follow through with it because I'm like, well, I guess like I have the pieces. There's no real reason to take it apart. But like I, it just leaves it in this kind of weird limbo. And so I need to actually retire decks to. Like you said, help manage my collection because I also have too many decks that I feel like I, I can't play them enough. Um, and, and so 
actually being able to retire them and put them away for realsies this time, that's something that I, I just, I need to build up the courage to do. And that's the thing that makes it difficult too, is that like, let's say I did take my feather deck apart. Well, where else am I going to use all of these defiant strikes and Lauren's escapes and and mm-hmm. other, and God's willings? Like, I don't have another deck that needs all of those. And even the expensive stuff that's in the deck, like I don't have another deck that will want to make use of an Aetherflux Reservoir. So if I take the deck apart, it is kind of like a, well, to what end? Like there's this deck is actually pretty cheap and so there's kind of no reason not to have it except that again i'm almost never playing it so yeah that's the the chutzpah as you said is tough to actually like figure out what the solution would be like to what end am i taking the deck apart rather than just because i'm not playing it and that's the thing that makes it a little bit tough but i do want to kind of set myself a, a boundary for this year to be kind of like you know what let's be honest here are some decks that i didn't actually play a whole lot last year so why am i still getting new cards for them why am i bothering to continue spending money to upgrade these decks as new stuff comes out if i never actually play them like it's nice that it's a constructed complete work of art on my desk, I guess. <laughs> like, I feel like, oh, that deck is complete, but I never touch it. <laughs> so, like, what is what is the point? It's a really, really fancy paperweight. <laughs> well, one interesting kind of psychological thing I found this year was when I did actually take apart a couple of decks that I've had for a long period of time, that I did the same thing. I, I hemmed and hawed for years, like, oh, do I want to play this deck? Not really. And, and then it sat there. And I, I, after finally like biting the bullet and taking them apart, it was actually very freeing. And it made me want to then brew more, particularly in those colors, um, that, that in, in a way that I wasn't when I had those decks sitting there. So like actually, mm-hmm. at least for me, I found it to be quite freeing to take them apart. Not only that I no longer have these decks sitting there that I wasn't using, it made me then want to like it made me energized to find something new to do in those colors because I had that land base sitting there, right? So, like, why not figure out something to do with it? So, <laughs> I actually think found it to be quite productive taking apart decks this year. Wait, so you're saying to take decks apart so that you can build new decks, Dana? That's not, <laughs> exactly, that's not my goal. Yes. My goal is to downsize, not to reconstruct. <laughs> I've already done a little bit of reconstructing. Like, I turned my Graven deck into a Martarion deck and things like that. And that was a really fun exercise to go through in the past year. But I'm trying to slim down and you're just, you're telling me to just keep, rec- Dana, come on, man. You gotta, you gotta. <laughs> it's the equivalent of going Going to the gym before you go out drinking. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all, no. But I, I do kind of want to go back to, I think this circles around to your first point, though, Matt. Like, in taking these things apart, I think it allows you more focus for the decks that actually bring you the most joy. If you're taking away some of those distractions and you're actually, like, honest with yourself about which of the decks you grab most often for game night, the fewer decks that you have sort of juggling mentally, wait, how am I supposed to make this deck work? You said Tasa Karlov, for example, and you were, like, you know, trying to memorize the play patterns of how do I make this deck the most optimal that it can be. Versus like, hey, you know what? I have fewer decks now and I can focus on playing my Raga Draga as brilliantly as possible because I don't have other things that I'm trying to keep in the air. I can just focus on this one that I love so much. Well, yeah, and and when you have as many decks and I only get to play a couple of times a week, maybe typically, you only have so much time at any given game night. So, I mean, even if I played every deck once and I just rotated through everything, I, I also have 16 decks. And so it's going to take me a month or two just to get through all of my decks if I played twice a week and played two games a night. So that just means I don't get to play the decks that I enjoy near as much. And so, yeah, it it, it stinks because I like having a different array of decks and doing a whole bunch of different things. But also, I just don't get to play them near as much as I, I would love to. And I, I, I would love to play more, but also real life. But, you know, whatever. Hmm. But But also, yeah, it just, it stinks that 
you only have so much time in a day, so much time to devote to actually playing the game. And, and yeah, it, all the work too. I, I feel like I'm, I'm pulled in the sunk cost fallacy mm. uh, thought process of, oh, I spent all this time brewing this deck. Why would I tear it apart? Oh, no. And that's that's where I get lost. Yeah, that is kind of an interesting thing that I noticed. That, that sunk cost fallacy is a really great thing to point out. This is something that I noticed about yeah. myself when I was going over the uh, like over some of the different things that I tried out this past year. And maybe this is kind of me bringing up another point of mine, another goal or resolution or uh, vibe for 2023 um, that, I, that I'm kind of into. I'm kind of rambling at this point. Sorry. Uh, I, I tested out a lot of different, almost kind of gimmicky things in the past couple of years. Like I made a Shorakai reanimator deck, for example. I wanted to try a reanimator deck that didn't play any black and see if I could pull it off. And I did. I was really, it was really fun to explore that. I would use all of these random cards like Breath of Life to revive a triplicate Titan uh, on an early turn. And that was very, very interesting. It was cool to do. And I played that deck like three times and then I never played it again. <laughs> you know, like I got to do the experimenting and it was really fun. And I think that categorically that type of experimentation did make me a better commander player. So I'm grateful to have gone through it. But the feeling of I built the thing and now I'm kind of done with it. I, I did the thing once and I'm not as interested in playing it again. That does kind of stink. And if I do build new decks, I'm much more interested in them being forever decks as opposed to gimmicky one shot kind of decks. Does that resonate with you, Matt? It does. Yeah. And that's one reason that another resolution of mine is I want to actually brew up some more decks. Uh, one thing that I, I've noticed when I was building a whole bunch of my recent decks was they're all pre-con. So they're all pre-con commanders that I built around. And so actually having to brew something from scratch is, I think that's a muscle I haven't really flexed a whole lot the past year. Because A, the pre-constructed decks they've been putting out, I think they've been fantastic. Except for Nuka Penna. We won't talk about Nuka Penna. <laughs> under the bus it goes. Wow. That under was, the bus. That, that is totally fine. It, <laughs> I, I don't want to just glom over every, the, the, the misses. But for, for the most part, the pre-constructed decks for the past several years have been absolutely great. Uh, and so that's probably directed a, a majority of my deck building processes. And I need to just, I need to get back to, here's a cool commander. I'm going to build something from scratch. I'm not going to buy the pre-constructed deck. I'm going to build a commander that came in a pack. And that sounds really scary for me, <laughs> but <laughs> also it's something that like I used to, I used to love doing. That's the, one of the reasons that I got into commander because there's these cool build around cards. I just want to get back into doing that more often. Hmm. So, uh, I agree with you, Matt, but I, I will also simultaneously go back to Joey's previous point about whether we could relate to the idea of like building a deck with a gimmick and then taking it apart after a few plays. I I do want to do more of that. Oh, um, okay. And, and I think that's in part because of the way I have tended to brew. I, my brewing has tended to be a very epic process. I, I have decks. My, my <laughs> the murder it, board. I, yeah, yeah well, I was and, just and, thinking. And, but like my, my Kennison Crom deck was a deck that like I, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted an Is It Combat Tricks deck. I wanted to be able to like play the Is It equivalent of giant growth spells and double those and double damage. And like I I, I had the I, the plan, but I couldn't execute. It. I didn't know what commander to use. Uh, so it, it was this thing that I, I had tinkering around with where I had like the deck half put half put together with, you know, 60 cards in the list and I would put a different commander in there and like stare at this digitally and try to figure out if that was going to make sense or not and like deal out hands. And I spent probably two years <laughs> with, with that deck like <laughs> on the maybe board status with uh, messing around with before I finally figured it out. And I love playing the deck. It, it worked. But that's exhausting. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that is a lot to do to brew. Yes. And this year, when I took those couple decks apart, 
uh, the, the the decks I built in their stead, I threw together quickly, like in you know a week or something before I was like, eh, I'm just throwing the cards in and let's go play it. Um, and I, I enjoyed being able to go play a deck that was much more raw than I usually play them. Usually when I finally have the cards together, I've had that deck and I've been tinkering with it for way, way too long digitally but <laughs> before I get to that point. And I enjoy just being spontaneous this year and just throwing decks together. And that's one of the things I want to continue to do is obsess less over the brews I'm building and just mm-hmm. get out there and try out something. Well, that's a fantastic point too is i mean we essentially i well at least i essentially have have three jobs i have my day job i have a weekend job that i do every now and then and honestly like doing this podcast it's kind of a part-time job we, we spend a lot of time working on it it, 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 I don't it do take f- some work yeah <laughs> i yeah but i also don't want a fourth job of worrying about what decks i'm brewing uh, <laughs> i don't yeah. want to spend that much time on it like i i love this game i wouldn't be doing the show we're, we're going on four years five years now mm, we yeah. would have been doing this as long as we haven't or have been if we didn't love the game but also, yeah. I don't want to have an unpaid internship on <laughs> building decks about this. Wow. Dude, staring for years at an is it list trying to figure out how exactly to make. Oh, is, is it is the worst. This. Yeah. That's yeah. the worst guild to have an internship for. They just don't pay for crud. Wow. This metaphor went off the rails. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it could be like the Orzov. Like, they just have all the zombies do their free labor. So it makes was, sense on. I was going to say, I feel like an Orzov internship would be way more of a, of a problem than an it internship. Like in an it internship, you run the risk of like, oh, the lab blows up because of the experiments. But an Orzov internship, yeah. you're literally never getting out of that alive. Um, the the, but, the okay. water cooler chat does leave you wanting. That is for sure. Alon Mizzet runs, rushes in. You guys are going to be hardcore and work way harder on these decks. Oh, my God. Lord. Oh, my Lord. Okay, we are. So uh, I want to circle back around to the, the, the point. <laughs> that you mentioned there, Dana, about like tinkering with uh, a thing, kind of like trying out some of those sillier things, like not, you know, obsessing for like two years over a single deck. <laughs> and it seems like we're kind of two ships in the night right now. Like I'm kind of heading back towards the more methodical approach while you are going more towards the spontaneity approach. And like, I I can't say that I'm going to completely give that up, you know, entirely. Like I still want to grow by trying out different strategies. Like I think I've mentioned it before, but categorically, I think one of the biggest level up moments for me ever in terms of multiplayer magic was when I built my Kaneos and Tiro deck, which is a group hug deck. Like, I never thought I was going to build a group hug. But when I did build that deck and it forced me to, you know, figure out how do I still win a game when I'm giving my opponents other stuff with rights of flourishing and other things like that? How do I build a deck that is actually going to win when I'm giving stuff away? It, it really like caused me to zoom out on a game of Commander and observe more things than just what's right on the board in front of me and observe like what is the most important to each opponent and how do I, you know, how long do I expect each person to be able to take before they start making big win the game moves and how can I anticipate that and control that? It like it made me really, really good as a Magic player. And nowadays, I almost never play that deck. And that's probably still okay. Like I'm really proud of like the learning that I did with that deck, but I probably have learned that lesson and kind of moved on. And that's a a dynamic that I expect I'll still get with plenty of other decks that I brew. I am looking for more of the forever decks nowadays, more of that methodical approach. But I see the appeal. Like, I hope that you get those same experiences when you are building decks a little bit more spontaneously. That's the word. Found the word. Eventually got there. Um, Because I think there are a lot of lessons that you can learn from it. With spontaneousness is what you were looking for. With spontaneous. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> anyway, I, I hope that any of that made sense to you, Dana, because I think that there's it, a lot of value to, to learn from that, is what I'm saying. It absolutely does. And, and listen, I, it's, spontaneous is a tough word. I, I, <laughs> I, I, as John Mulaney said, we have degrees in a language we already spoke. Oh, no. <laughs> you, you know what? I... I would challenge that, but first, there's something else that we should challenge. Wait. And it's not the ability for Joey nice. to make a segue. No, nice. no. Are you... No, the vibe for 2023 is not that you will steal my segues into challenges. No, no, no. That's we're we're setting this vibe. That, that, that is, <laughs> no! Oh, no. That, that, that's my first resolution. That's a real resolution. <laughs> steal, oh. steal Joey's thunder. Yep. Okay. Well, you win. Yes, there are plenty of uh, stats to challenge in the new year. So let's take a break and come back with some of those fantastic challenge the stats. All right. The first card I'm going to challenge here in 2023 is an overplayed card. Ooh. Um, and, it's, and it's a classic. It sees a ton of play. Go for the throat. <laughs> yeah. Instant speed, one in a black, destroy target, non-artifact creature. And when I first started playing Commander, if you were playing black, you probably ran go for the throat. It was the best Doomsblade slash terror variant probably that you could run. But that was like six, seven, eight years ago or so. We've had a lot of really good black removal spells printed. And you know what? Two of the top 20 commanders in the format on EDH Rec right now are artifact creatures. The third most popular creature in commander is an artifact creature. Three of the top 20 creatures in EDH on EDH Rec are artifact creatures. There's just too many other options these days, I think, to continue to run a black removal spell that just doesn't always work. Deadly Relic is crazy expensive, so like maybe we can ignore that. But Infernal Grasp is genuinely a great card. Baleful Mastery is excellent. We have Feed the Swarm that actually hits things besides creatures. Curtain's Call is fantastic. I don't think Go for the Throat is a bad card at all. It's still very playable, but I think there's just enough things these days that are more often than not better, that you just probably don't need to run it like you did back during Theros block EDH era. Um, so it's in 50,000 decks, and at this point, I think these days, it probably just should be in less. But Dana, he says, ironically, Borke no loves dose. Why not play it in addition to all of those others? I, I, I mean, I think that's probably too much removal. <laughs> um, at that point, I think. And I will also throw this out there. Um, this is a an anecdotal little story I will trade, but but not once, but twice, I would say, in 2022, I believe, I neutered a go for the throat with a liquid metal torque. Ooh! Um, that's not a reason not to run it, but that's something that doesn't really happen to the other cards I mentioned. So that's clever. Um, it's just one more kind of ding against. I just think it's not probably quite good enough most of the time these days. Yeah, that oh, liquid metal torque, instant speed, turning stuff into an artifact to get away from the go for the throat. Uh, Dana, you are singing my songs. You are speaking my language. That is beautiful. Love that. And I also happen to agree with you. In even in mono black, there are a lot of other options that you just named. And if you pair this with literally any other color, suddenly you're opening up. You know, mono. Yeah. If you're playing Demir, then you've got Pongify and all of the associated blue removal. If you're playing Orzov, you've got so many Path to Exile and all of them. Like there's a lot of removal. Yep. Um, going on. So I would say that I agree with you that Go for the Throat is budging way down on the list of black removal spells. So strong start for the year, sir. And it's a it's an overplayed card in terms of, you know, 
last year of the 50 shows we did, 49 of mine were underplayed cards. I'm, I'm trying to change it up this year. <laughs> it's called growth, Dana. That's what we're, there we that's go. What we're focused <laughs> that's right. on. Oh, man. Well, okay. I will go to our listener challenge then as the next challenge. And uh, this one actually is for an underplayed card in a very specific strategy. And it's a pretty clever pick coming to us from one of our patrons. Uh, The patron goes by not Chris Evans. So good to know. (laughs) Might be uh, another Chris Hemsworth. Could be. We're not sure. But we know that it is not Chris Evans. And not Chris Evans has a very fun pick for a Shia Soul of the Wild. The card in question being Centaur Omen Reader. Centaur Omen Reader was only ever printed in Future Sight. It is a 4-mana 3-3 Centaur Shaman. And as long as it is tapped, creature spells you play cost 2 generic mana less to play. And uh, not Chris Evans points out that this is pretty darn cool for a Shia Soul of the Wild who turns all of your non-token creatures into forests. So then you can just tap the Centaur Omen Reader as the land that it will be. And not only will it produce a green mana for you, but now every other creature that you play from that point on is going to be two generic mana less. You have a free tap outlet with your commander for this deck. So now instead of paying, you know, three mana for a Scoot Swarm, you can just pay one mana for a Scoot Swarm. Instead of paying six mana for a Rampaging Bailots, you can pay four mana for a Rampaging Bailots. Uh, Cultivator Colossus now goes down to five mana. Multani now goes down to four mana. I mean, you're going to tap all of your creatures anyway for mana because of Ashaya, so why not get even more of a boost from it? This is a really sly pick. If you are turning all of your creatures into mana dorks, this is a super mana dork, not Chris Evans. This is a fantastic pick for Ashaya. I agree. It's a good pick from totally not Chris Evans. Hopefully it was Chris Hemsworth or it was not, no Chris, but that that's just wow. me. Just me. <laughs> but anyway, so I have a challenge and, and this week, to start off the new year, I'm going to reach back into the Wayback Machine and bring up a card that I, I love. It's so great. And okay, so I know I kind of poo-pooed on the new Capenna pre-constructed decks, but there is a card that actually was reprinted there that I love. I would love to see more printed or played more, I should say, in another pre-constructed deck. Uh, so Slippery Bog Bonder, people. It still exists and it's still a great <laughs> card. Uh, so it's three and a green for flash hexproof. Whenever Slippery Bog Bonder enters the battlefield, put a hexproof counter on target creature, and then you may, mo- you may move any number of counters from among creatures you control onto that creature. So one new commander that I, it, it plays around with pl- with all sorts of different counters. It doesn't care about just plus one, plus one counters, but any sort of counters is the Swarmlord, which is from the Teamer pre-constructed deck for the Warhammer 40k pre-cons. So the Swarmlord has a whole bunch of attacks. Uh, whenever it enters the battlefield, you put two plus one, plus one counters on it for each time you've cast your commander from the command zone this game. But also whenever a creature dies, or whenever a creature you control dies, excuse me, if it has a count on it, you draw a card. So, there's a lot of counters. There's plus one, plus one counters. But the second ability says whenever a creature you control with a counter dies. So, it doesn't have to specifically be the most common counter you're putting on creatures. And if you look at the typical deck, that's all it's really doing. Slippery Bog Bonder, a flash way to put a hexproof counter onto a creature you control, an important one, and then you can move any number of counters. So, it doesn't have to be everything. It can be the only the ones that you want onto one of your big beaters to make it, you know, say, some sort of Voltron deck. This is just absolutely fantastic, and Slippery Bogbonder is not showing up on the Swarmlords page at all. If you have a commander that likes to go big that's going to be the target of a lot of spells, Slippery Bogbonder probably should just go in that deck full stop. Uh, it's just a fantastic card. It's played in 16,000 decks currently, which 
That's a respectable number, about 2% of eligible decks. But if you have a commander A that you want to protect and B that cares about having a lot of counters around, this is just an absolutely must-play card. I love it. So thank you, New Capenna Precons, for reprinting Slippery Bogbonder so that we can put it in other decks. This Bogbonder puts in so much stinking work for your Kyler Sigardian Emissary deck mm-hmm. that I am like... I'm having PTSD of you bringing this card up for other things because I've seen what this card can do in your deck that cares about counters. And now you're like, yeah, play it in other places. And I'm like, dang it, that's going to wreak so much havoc if that happens too. So like, yeah, take take Matt's advice, everybody. This card is really good for decks that care about counters. And I know because he murderlates me with it all the time. <laughs> murderlates. I don't think that's even a Warhammer term. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> blood for the blood god, etc. Murderlate. We're making it a thing. <laughs> gotcha. But yeah, I mean, good cards are good. And and Slippery Bog Bonder, it is a very, very good card. Yes, yes, it is. Okay, let's get back into our topic here, talking about goals and resolutions and things that we hope for ourselves or even for the format in 2023. Dana, uh, let's pass this right back to you if there's something else that you are expecting, anticipating, hoping to manifest in this coming year. Yeah, um, I, I want to go play more Commander in places where I traditionally don't play. And that's something pre-pandemic I would do you know, a handful of times a year. If I was somewhere on a work trip, I would bring a couple decks and bake in a little bit of time in my schedule to go to some LGS in, you know, some random place in Ohio that wasn't a too too far of a drive from where I happen to be. Um, or just take a trip on a on a weekend somewhere and, and find a shop and, and just go play some commander with complete strangers in, in an environment I wasn't used to. Um you know, the pandemic kind of locked that down, both in terms of taking work trips and just taking trips in general. Mm. Um but I th- I'm hoping this year I can do a little more of that and, and, and get out to a few places that aren't my comfort zones and just play some commander with people I don't know. Not only is that a good experience, I think it's a really good learning experience. It, it's a way to, it's a good way to see cards you don't traditionally see, to see people play in ways you don't maybe play at your LGS. I think, I think it's a learning experience as well as just something healthy to do. Um, it's a luxury I think a lot of folks maybe don't have and, when I'm afforded the chance to do it, I'm going to make an attempt to to get back and do some more of that in 2023. Dana, are you saying that our meta at twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast does not encompass the entirety of the commander playing experience? It might not be entirely representative of what everyone out there in the wild sees. So What? Yeah, Matt, I'm, I'm, is I'm, this news to you like it is for me? Uh, so it is not news because like Dana, <laughs> I actually, I used to travel a lot for work as well. And the cool thing about playing magic is no matter where you go, you can find a local game shop and you can go and do a draft or find commander night or whatever it is. There's a lot of risk, great portability and mobility to being able to take a couple decks with you and just go and play. Uh, you, you have a community almost wherever you go. And that is something absolutely fantastic. You, you might even say magical about the magic gathering community <laughs> is it's it's it, when you're traveling you're able to find games and and that was one thing personally that got me through a lot of long two week long trips on the east coast three time zones from anybody i knew uh hopefully for dana like that that works out or anybody that's traveling yeah. just if you have a work trip and you have spare time bring a deck go find a magic night that, that's what yeah. we're going to do, Matt. We're going to just wander from game store to game store like Jack Reacher or <laughs> Bruce Banner in the old Incredible Hulk show. Just two guys with a couple backpacks wandering into town playing some EDH. 
that's it's like a, a almost a western. Like this town ain't big enough. There we go. The, except yeah. that except that it is. Magic the Gathering is big enough for the both. Plenty, of us for the plenty big yeah. enough. Yeah. This pot ain't uh, big enough for the five of us. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. That's how it's gonna go. Minus no, no the, really, it, the it, weird it, is, it isn't big enough. Five, five, five player games suck. We're we're gonna not play. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They can take up a lot of time. It's true. Yeah. But no, the expanding of the horizons there is a really good lesson. I think like the first time that I played with you in person, Dana, um, I got to see a whole lot more removal spells that I don't typically see. Like you're famous for Lignify and Song of the Dryads are pretty common staples amongst uh, any deck that you play with green. And like, so that was a thing that I learned pretty quickly playing against you. And that wasn't a thing that I saw a lot of back here in Seattle. So that is a, a thing that expands my, my it, it broadened my horizons. And so, yeah, I hope that you get to do that more often because playing in newer spaces, even if they're spaces that you're not as familiar with, can show you other aspects of a meta that mm. help you grow as the commander player. And maybe you'll find some juicy new toys to put into your own decks too. Or you'll find out that your deck is weak to stuff that you didn't realize it was weak to. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a great learning experience, and it's it's just it's just fun to get out and, and see different people and play different places. So, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, I guess I'll move to one of my next points here as well, and. Matt, I almost kind of suspect that this is a thing that you share uh, with me too. Mm-hmm. I, if I do build new decks it, going into this into the future, like I've said, I want to slim down. But for any new decks that I do build, I want to prioritize as few colors as possible. Like, yeah. <laughs> I I don't want to do three color stuff if I can help it. Like, I want to f- definitely build more monocolor uh, decks for sure because I I have a couple of them that I really really enjoy. You know, I love my Sir Conrad. You know, I love my Titania. But I want to keep exploring that. I want to keep on finding like those are in effectively those are decks that have built-in weaknesses like every color in the color pie has built-in weaknesses and i kind of want to explore more of that like how can i cover up a deck's weakness not just by having another color to shore up that weakness how can i do it strategically and i think building more monocolor decks might help me out with that and so maybe that's a thing i know that you've talked about you know you want more incentive from wizards of the coast for us to build more monocolor decks and so maybe that's a, a journey that you also hope to take yourself to i don't know uh, I haven't really committed to that part. I haven't really thought about it. I was thought about that because part of what I tried to do over the last year was was build decks and colors I no- don't normally do. Um, I have a Grixis mm-hmm. deck and I've never had that before. Uh, so thank you for another pre-con commander. That seemed to be really fun. Uh, <laughs> but also, I, I don't really... I guess part of my resolutions is I don't really care too much about the colors anymore because I just want to get back to playing things that I love. And it, Mr. Selesnia himself, that's that's me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't mind if I'm going to circle back on colors or play less colors. It is nice because the mana bases when you're playing fewer colors, um, if you're playing green, white, it's a lot cheaper than playing. Is it uh, so the, the steam vents is going to be way more expensive than Temple Garden, uh, stuff like that. And so, yeah, the, the mana bases, I definitely appreciate um, being able to to cheap out about cheap out on a little bit, but. I don't really consider a whole lot of, of playing fewer colors or more colors. I, I just want to play what I enjoy. So I, I'm not really like making that a resolution at all, but I will say this, Joey, as somebody who's never really enjoyed playing three color decks at all, and I've always been aware of that, I would say in the last year, what I've probably done is realize why that is. In the past, I think I've said that I, I don't love three or more color decks because there's just too many decisions to make. And that's definitely part of it, but but I do think much more of it is I, I do prefer the challenge of one and two color decks and having to, like you said, find ways to play around weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, I've just come to discover that that's what I like about playing one and two color decks. Um, it's not so much that I, I dislike things about three color decks or or more. It's that 
I just genuinely much prefer the challenges of playing of playing monocolor decks or two color decks. Yeah, I, I can kind of feel that. Uh, I, I guess, I don't know, uh, Matt, to kind of turn the spotlight back on to you here, I can't believe that you're not going on this journey with me. Um, <laughs> but I am kind of curious then, like, if there are other goals in different ways for the stuff that you do build, like beyond, you know, you've said certainly that the fun is at the center of it. But are there other things, other concepts that you might be playing with then for the stuff that you do potentially dive into? So one thing that I've actually kind of started brainstorming a little bit and I, I've been talking to some friends about is, I noticed the last event that we went, the last big event that we went to, that folks had a couple rule zero decks, um, which is whether they're playing a, a, a commander or a color combination that doesn't you know, normally have what's printed on the card. They're playing a commander with like a, a hidden partner, something like something about it was out of the ordinary. And I've been thinking about it just kind of casually ever since. And I really want to build myself a rule zero deck. Uh, mm. A, not just because of the, the brewing challenge it's going to present, but I want to have a deck that right off the bat, it's going to spark the socialization. It's going to have people talking about what they think about, oh, this is a rule zero deck. What does everybody think about that? And get the conversations going because that conversation, however it starts, it's going to continue throughout the rest of the game. And that's just, mm -hmm. that's one thing that I've noticed the more that I get to play with, with random people going to do shops in the area, stuff like that is you can kind of get a good feel for how the game is going to go socially within the first probably like three minutes, I would say. And so being able to spark that and help gauge that by asking that question of, I have a rule zero deck. What do you think about that? Is it okay? Here's what the deck does. And is that, is, is that something that everybody's on board with? That mm. type of conversation, I, I really have been intrigued by it. I would like to kind of explore that deck building space because that is definitely something I have never even considered before. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's tricky. <laughs> like it's it's very it, it is very tricky. Yeah, because like we've played against, uh, for example, we have uh, at events we've played against someone who was playing like the Urza, the head planeswalker that was like silver bordered. Mm -hmm. Like that has been a legend that we've seen that technically isn't like actually legal or, or whatever in the game. But like a quick rule zero conversation is everyone on board for kind of the wild time that this might produce. Sure. Or we've seen other folks. I think a pretty common one uh, people want to give. Um, they want to build a deck that has both Olivia and Edgar at the helm, even though they don't actually have partner. And so you're just kind of like eh, fake partner the deck together because it's a fun wedding kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but that's tricky as heck because like, I don't know if someone was like, hey, here's my brother's war deck that has the new busted Urza and the new busted Mishra both in the command zone. I'd be kind of a little cagey about that. Right. Like, right yeah. That's, that, that's kind of a lot, though. So so like that's what makes it really hard to actually get into and to balance to make sure that you're, again, prioritizing the fun as you explore the concept rather than just getting good free bonuses, I mm -hmm. guess. I don't yeah. know what the, how to phrase that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I might be in my own head about it too much. I'd, I'd feel like I was. Yeah. Putting people in a weird position where they had to say yes to a content creator doing this rule zero thing or, oh. you know, like, I, like myself, I just wouldn't want to deal with, with that in my own brain. So I, myself, I'm not going to want to do it, but that also might well be a, like I said, just me being in my own head about it. That, that is 100% my issue is I, I've never been one to ask for a whole lot of accommodations, especially sure. when it comes to, a, a game, a hobby that we all have and all share. And like there, there's very clearly written rules. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that I, I've never done, but 
just thinking on the social axis of the format, it's been a really cool and really fun experiment to kind of think of. And in talking to people, what is a rule zero accommodation that somebody would ask for that you would not be on board with? Mm. And a lot of it comes down to, okay, if you're asking to put like some mega staxy card in the command zone, then no. Or if you're trying to like, oh, I'm going to tiny leader, secret partner, whatever, Armageddon or anything. I don't know what stuff like that. It, Obviously, I, I want to keep the social aspect for it. And, sure. and a lot of the things that uh, people are mentioning, they're not ever crossing my mind. Like a um, friend of the podcast, Craig Blanchett, said, I don't want anybody to ever play with a sideboard. And I 100%, like sideboards and commander. Sure. Absolutely not. Get out of here. I, I will die by keeping sideboards out of commander. <laughs> but what is acceptable and trying to find that middle ground, like, is it. Oh, is it so? Uh, is it a lore thing? Are people trying to, like you said, Joey, Olivia and Edgar? They're they're partners in in the the world of the storyline. Now they're partners in their own deck. Is it something like that, or is it something that people may not be on board with? Interesting, and that's and that's the difficult part of it too. Is that there's going to be different leniency mm -hmm. there with like you mentioned sideboards, like a card that I have always kind of been like, oh, I wish, I wish that I, this is the type of thing that I could play in Commander is the Sponsire of Ulamog twenty mana ability, where it just like rips a hole in the fabric of the universe, and you can play nope. a bunch of Eldrazi that nope. you own from outside the game. Get out of here. Not your jam. No, nope. it's totally my jam. That's nope. the type of conversation that I'd be like, kind of, kind of into. And I totally get why for you, you're just like, can we not deal with other stuff from outside the game, please? Because that really makes the game very strange very quickly. But that's just a different preference. There's no who's right and who's wrong about this. That's not how rule zero conversations work. There is no correct about either of those things. It's about where every person feels comfortable drawing the line. And that's a really big thing right there is just like, yeah, I hope that everyone feels encouraged to be able to draw their own lines. There's sometimes a social pressure. If three people are saying yes, and you're the fourth person who's kind of uncomfortable about it, where you feel like, oh, I guess I have to go along with it. No, you don't. No, you can draw your lines. You are just, you know, <laughs> these conversations are tricky, but draw, draw whatever boundaries you've yeah. got to draw because it's, there's no wrong. There's no wrong in that. And I, and I guess my, my goal for building this rule zero deck is I want it to be something fun but that isn't something that people are going to want to say, I'm not okay with that. So like, uh, right. Yangu and Mowu, like something like that, like having them have partners. <laughs> that's something that like, that is, that's originally what sparked it. I'm not sure if that's what I would want to do, but something along those lines, like it, it's something that it almost could have been done or maybe should have been done. If you're Wizards of the Coast, wink, wink, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. But oh, no. <laughs> it, it's something that people, I don't want to put people in that position, but I want to have that conversation still get kicked off and, and have people talking about what is okay and what's not. Yeah, I don't know. Mobu is already pretty darn good all on its own, but but Mobu I guess is you. very good. Yes, <laughs> but I totally, I totally get. Yeah, you you doing an all dogs deck? I think would be pretty hard for me to say no to that. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Um, can I share? I, with you? I am adorable. So are dogs. <laughs> can I share with you a rule zero deck that I think I posted this a while ago, but I don't know if I shared it on the podcast. And this is one that I've been tinkering with. It would be um, a a character growing up over the course of the story. So you have several different commanders in your command zone. You only ever play one of them at a time. But let's say it's an Urza deck. It's the story of Urza deck. And every time that you play Urza, instead of commander tax, he just grows up into the next version of Urza. Um, and I think that that would be kind of a fun way to tell a story, for example. Or mm -hmm. there are like three different Titanias. I don't know. And so like that could be a fun way to cycle things through. You get an actual story theme deck. And every time that you recast your, your commander, they're growing up. They're expanding. They're growing a little bit. And I, I thought that that was if I were to dip my toe into the rule zero, that is the type of thing that I might play around with. And I'm not sure what people's comfortable uh, comfortability. Wow, I can't do words today. Comfortability <laughs> with that. Comfortability. Comfortability on this.
<laughs> comfortability in it. Um, but that was a, a fun thing that I thought might be kind of a kind of a, a fun experiment to try out. And so, and, and that's that's along the lines of like what keeps me motivated to to keep brewing and find out what is something that is it's still my idea, but it's something that. I can get other people on board with because it's fun or it's something that's it's doing something different enough that it's it, you have to have that conversation about it but it's also something that people you wouldn't want people to say no to and it's not just because of the pressure that Dana Dana mentioned because I also I get in my head I don't want to put people in outside of their comfort zones because that's the whole point of the game is to get away from the things that we don't like well, kind of, kind of on the same vein of, of things people don't like, that's actually probably the last one here on my list of things I want to I want to focus on for 2023 is to continue to pay attention to the experience for everyone else that I'm playing with. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's been something I've been doing to a degree over the you know the last several years. Um, but like the the what probably drove it home most to me that how I want to continue to work on that was. I tested out the card Most Dangerous Gamer from Unfinity in my Glissa deck. Mm. Um, it, and it was, everyone was just annoyed. It was just like the one time <laughs> I got it out, it was just annoying. And everyone's like, uh, what does that attraction do? And then like the next turn, someone, another one came down like, okay, what does that do? And I was like, oh, this just sucks. Like no one wants to have to remember what these attractions are doing. And they're, they're taking up real estate on the play field and they're like, Unless someone kills it, another one's coming out next. Like it, it was just frustrating for everybody, and it wasn't like enough to like ruin a game, but it was just this little nagging annoyance that I thought that doesn't give it didn't give me any joy to play it. So why am I playing it? That something that just annoys everyone for no reason. So like you know that that's the kind of thing that that I'm going to continue to look at. Um, I, I still had one deck running Cyclonic Rift. And I, I top decked it, I think, two weeks ago in a game. And I looked at it, and I'm like, this isn't making the game better. Like, this this card right now isn't improving the state of the game. I mean, so why do I have it in here? Mm. Like, all it's going to do is add five minutes to this and this game and, and annoy people. Why am I running it? And, and maybe if you don't, I'm not saying that you should take Rift out of your deck. If you don't feel that way, that's fine. But that was the emotion I had about it when I saw it. So I'm like, I'm just going to not. There was one left in one deck, and now there's none left in any of my decks. <laughs> um, so that's the kind of thing I'm gonna, I, I want to continue to keep an eye out for is just running cards that that feel to me like they don't make things fun. Yeah, and and like that, obviously, I think it should go without saying, but I mean, it, it probably does need to be said that like certain different groups will define fun differently. That's absolutely kind of the point of the commander. So like if you're playing against, uh, you know, some decks that go a little bit sweatier, then Cyclonic Rift is the type of thing that is going to balance out the game because everyone's doing really big, massive swings. Yeah. So this is, again, just speaking to the way that you are approaching the game. And Dana, I fully love endorse 100% of that because that is a thing that I definitely noticed myself, especially near the tail end of last year, where I was, oh man, I just like, I was constantly reshaping. But honestly, a lot of the decks that I reconstructed last year, like I mentioned earlier that I changed Graven into Mortarion, that was because of the social experience that that deck produced, where Graven would just thunder one person down and then they would be sitting out of the game for like 20 or 30 minutes while the rest of us finished up. And I was like, well, that sucks. <laughs> like, I just, that's not what I wanted. What I wanted was a deck that was going to play around with life totals and, and be a little risky. And instead, I'm just kind of like making one person not have as much fun. So I changed that deck up to a different thing that could still play around with life totals. And so 
yeah, prioritizing the experience of your opponents is always going to provide you with some of the most rewarding types of gameplay, whatever that experience looks like, if it's sweaty or if it's social or if it's silly and fun. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't surprise me that the most dangerous gamer was not the most fun thing that, <laughs> that you could do, even though you were just, you were interested, you were just trying it out. And again, no harm in that. But like the actual experience that created wasn't fun for you, let alone right. everyone else. So you're like, all right, let's switch this up and, you know, paying attention to what everyone else's reaction was. Yeah, it totally makes sense because I, I I like the games where everyone's like oh instead of everyone being like ah oh, you know right exactly <laughs> so exactly. it's it's only the most dangerous gamer as because it's it's dangerous for your tires because somebody's gonna slash them after the game <laughs> right right yes. wow oh it's, da- it's dangerous it's yes it's dangerous for your opponents staying awake over the course of the game that's true <laughs> face face plant and break a nose on their on their board in front of them yeah goodness gracious. So on that note, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of in in a way, these are all there's a common thread between all of these things, and that's just to have more fun playing Commander and make sure everyone you're playing with is having more fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the see that right there. That's the best vibes. That's exactly what yeah. what it's all about. Like 2023 is a a year of building some new decks and also building some new stories, making some mm-hmm. experiences that we're all going to look forward to and fun stories that we'll go tell on the on the cast and stuff like that yeah uh as it kind of comes full circle the very first point that matt brought up in the show was prioritizing the fun in his deck building and that's exactly how you've ended on too and that's yeah kind of always at the heart of it isn't it you might say it's a fundamental pillar of (laughs) the format because you're supposed to have i'm done i'm done (laughs) <laughs> nope, nope the damage the damage is the done damage. that's actually I, I i stole that one from like literally every motivational speech in high school that <laughs> the speaker would come and i'm sorry i'm sorry nope nope it's cool it's cool this is why we can't have nice things uh because it ter- yes <laughs> we are centering the fun but we're we're also the dad jokes are always with me and listeners i appreciate you for helping me keep my sanity throughout all of these years of so much dad joke pun based humor i appreciate you so so much okay uh i think we probably just need to go ahead and call this episode to a close but listeners we want to hear what your goals or resolutions or hopes things that you're manifesting for the upcoming year will be definitely let us know reach out to us on social media and fellas while we're calling this episode to a close, where is it that folks can reach us on the onlines? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDHRETCAST every Wednesday evening. So make sure you tune in. We have guests on all the time. And it's a super fun time. It's just good to play magic with people in the community. And it's always fun. So make sure you tune in. Twitch.tv slash EDHRETCAST. Awesome people like Jen. Shout out to you again. And Dana, where can folks find you? You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles for EDHREC and Commander's Herald. And by writing... I mean, I will actually write more than three articles in this upcoming year. That's another <laughs> one of my resolutions. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on the onlines. And you can find the cast at EDHRETCast online. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRETCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck.